Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan read the paper, Happy New Year. Is that right? It's 2021. It's finally 2021, okay? And here we are doing, uh, it's like our 203rd, 204th uh, episode. Well, the only good holdover from 2020 is the Tamsin and Dan podcast, and here we are in the new year. We made it through. We made it through. So we've been doing this a long time. Well, we're grizzled veterans. I'm grizzled. You're a veteran. And uh, for those who aren't familiar... The whole idea of this podcast is it uh, is kind of recreating old radio broadcasts of couples who used to talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, just going over the newspaper. Yeah. Things they're reading. Um, we're not experts. Oh, no. No, I'm an expert. We, <laughs> you always say that. Um, but I am not. It's nice that you're not. But I it am not. It balances things, I, you know? In all my naivete, I'm just reading this stuff and saying, wow, they could do that? And I'm reading it and saying, I can't believe they wrote that. That's just wrong. So it's a different so approach. So we're trudging along. Yes. But anyway, um, I want to say happy birthday to you in advance. Thank you. Your birthday is coming up. It is coming up. I've got to run out and uh, buy you something. That's all right. You know, we just exchange gifts for New Year's. Yeah. That's our habit. That's mm-hmm. our tradition, mm-hmm. exchanging gifts on New Year's. And uh, I got some great gifts this year from you. Oh, really? I'm happy to hear you say that. Yes, including the flask. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oddly enough, you gave me a a hip flask, Mm -hmm. but it's a George Jensen hip flask. It's the most beautiful flask one could ever see. Well, I'm glad glad to hear that uh, you liked it. Yeah, I really liked it. And there was other good stuff, too. Too numerous to mention. Yes, and you gave me some excellent, you know... Workout bands. <laughs> and uh, obviously giving me the message that I have to whip myself into shape. So uh, now I'm going to do that. I, I can take a hint. If you exercise I'm going to start working out. Again. That's, yeah. All right. Uh, I think we know so we're, we're So we're on a high note today. Well, we're really on a high note because the Giants won what? a game. Well, and they might get into the playoffs. <laughs> and that would put anyone in a good mood. Well, it certainly puts me in a good mood. Uh, so there you go. All right. So... Um, we saw a couple of interesting uh, movies. A couple of interesting movies. Let's start with the one that perhaps has the bigger audience and certainly the more well-known name, and that is Soul, the Pixar movie, the animated film. Uh, and um, Soul is the story of a uh, musician slash music teacher, high school teacher, who is a little bit disappointed in his career, but he ultimately he gets a chance to make a little bit of a splash in terms of entertainment. Uh, and then shortly after that happens, he finds himself uh, having an accident again. This is Disney. So the, and it leads him to being in the netherworld or purgatory, whatever you want to call it. And we have all kinds of existential thinking and reevaluation of his life. I'll stop there because it's sounding I really dull. don't think that seemed like purgatory. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I mean, <laughs> I, listen, don't ask a Jewish person about purgatory. All right, get, so don't talk about I'm it. I'm not an expert there. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know what really? you call it. It looked like okay, the world's any, fair, anyway, honestly. That's what it reminded me of. It's a story about finding your passion. The, the Louisiana finding, Pavilion. Finding right? some meaning to your life. Perhaps, right? yeah, yeah. Perhaps? Yeah. I mean, look, uh it's uh, it stars. Let's get the 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 requirements out there. It's, it's directed by Pete Doctor and Kemp Power. Uh, it stars uh, Jamie Foxx, and of course we're talking about voices and uh, Tina Fey. 
And the Pixar animation is magnificent. It's unbelievable, right? Yes. Yeah. And in a sense, that's the thing with these movies. Um, you know, they're trying to appeal to a wide age span, you know, more power to them. And one of the ways they do that is uh, there's always something going on. There's always something glittering. It's either a little funny line that's a throwaway that the, that the grownups might get or, the, or some, somebody, you know, falls down and the kids might laugh or it's some spectacular setting. It just distracts you, and uh, you say, "Wow, that's marvelous! That's beautiful animation! That's just a—it's almost like a painting. It's very inventive. It's very creative. It, it is all that going for it. It's—it's it, fantastic in that way." Well, it had—it uh, was about a jazz musician. It wasn't jazz. How did you like the music? Uh, the jazz music was excellent, and it's John Baptiste, and uh, it's—you uh, know—it helped. It made me more interested, so I'm definitely going to like it. How'd you like it? You're less of a jazz. Enthusiast. I did like it. I thought I thought it was a, a an accessible ah, interpretation. Let me tell you something of serious okay, jazz. Okay. Before you, you start putting yourself uh, down, not only going for accessible, I played you a classic jazz album the other day, Ben Webster, something called Soulville. All right, it is classic. It's not dumbed down for anybody. It's not made accessible, not accessible. It's fantastic, and you too thought it was fantastic. So. Yeah, you're into it more than you admit. But in any event, no, the music you, was you good. You played some pretty bad stuff. For well, me. There's, there's know, no doubt about it. I was hitting the hip but blast. It, nonetheless, I, obviously they're going to try to create music that creates the sound that they want, but that is not going to send people screaming home from the theater. No, yes, you're right. And uh, yeah, the music's good. The music's good. Well, more than good. Did you like the play, the? Uh, movie? I thought it was good. I didn't, and you might even say very good. I wouldn't say it's better than that. But I mean, it, it's. Uh, I think you liked it more than I did. I. It, it depends what your expectations are. I got a little bit disappointed just because I saw some glowing reviews, like best picture of the year or something like that. And it's not to me. It's not that. It's not remotely that. But um, it, at the end of the day, they, they sort of touch on or refer to some what you might call very big themes, existential themes. And to me, that didn't really cohere. And I, I actually looked at a few reviews. Most of them were very positive. Some of them said almost exactly what I just said. Didn't really cohere. But it was close enough for a movie that's going for such widespread age appeal. But 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 I think you liked it more than I did. Yes. And I do think it's interesting that it uh, mostly takes place in a black world, in an African-American world. Well, it world. certainly does. It certainly okay. does, yeah. And, uh, you know, people have written articles about how, uh, you know, the dealing with this, because much of animation historically has been caricature yeah. of, of black, uh, black people, well, personalities, mm-hmm. appearance, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also, I found it interesting that uh, one of the co-directors, Kemp Power, yeah. first director, first black director of, of an animated film. film. Of a Disney film. Uh, Is it of a Disney yeah, film? Of a Disney film. Of a Disney film. There have been film? many animated films out there. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but it, I think that's true. And... Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, as I said, I, went, I looked at a lot of reviews. The problem is, and I do agree with you uh, about what you're saying about this being a new development... Uh, and a welcome development, mm-hmm. I actually found a review from a fairly prominent source that accused the film of being racist. Oh, I'm sorry. Pixar's first Oh, Pixar's. Director. We both got it wrong. Okay, Pixar. Uh, I meant of animation. Yeah, okay. But it, so well, Pixar is all animation. animation, really. Okay. Um, uh, accused the film of being racist because of the, um, 
relationship between the two main characters, one being a black character, another being a white character. Uh, and I, it's hard to get into this without getting into too much of the movie, but they, at one point, they just feel that it's a hackneyed relationship and, uh, I, 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 there's too much explanation involved here, but they start talking about you know the the uh, white soul invading the black body, and and, and they go crazy with that. And so also, well, yeah, yeah, yeah we can't get possibly into that. the you know black soul needing to learn a lesson from right, the white right character. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you got to be so darn careful careful about it. So in any event, uh, you liked it. I liked it too. I didn't think it was great, and but I thought it was uh, it was fun to watch. Uh, it, and listen but, to yes for sure and uh, by total coincidence there was a movie that we saw the same week which on the surface uh, has some real commonalities with Soul uh, not an animated film but it's also one in which the main character is an artist in this case a playwright who during a large part of the movie is vying for commercial success or at least to have her plays produced and seen um and well, also this, and, this, and, and, and just to finish the, the commonalities and also was a teacher in her spare time okay. so she finds herself doing more teaching than right. playwriting so this movie is called is called 40 year old version yes. 40 year old version and which is smaller starring Rada blank Rada blank and directed black. and directed by Rada blank and directed and, and written by her, it's, it feels like her. It's story. autobiographical. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I and can't... it's about her, you know, trying to find her way, trying to find right. her voice, right. trying to. I think she knows what her passion is, but she's trying to articulate it. Yeah. And um, the you know, it's uh, about uh, all the um, roadblocks yeah. that uh, the rather white world of Broadway theater yeah. um, present. Well, I think it's even about more than that. But let me just say right off the bat, to get off Soul, uh, as Sadie would say, it's not exactly a hot take to express the view that this was a more uh, more adult, more nuanced, uh, more intellectually interesting film. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, Soul's just looking for a different audience in this film. So I'm not criticizing Soul terribly for it. It's just a coincidence they both came out. But I like this movie a lot, Um, a lot. And uh, it's black and white. It's black and white. Okay. And I, I uh, the the um, the main character is just about to be forty. Mm-hmm. So it's about uh, it's kind of a midlife crisis in some ways. Like, why haven't I made it? Similar right. to the exactly. There are a lot musician a lot, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah. There's so many things. I mean, the truth is, we could talk about this movie for a half hour, and that tells we could, you we could talk about it for several hours. Right. But, it, but here's but that the, tells you something good about the movie right there. Here, but here's a synopsis. Uh, you know, she's frustrated. She was highly touted uh, early on in her career as right. a playwright, and nothing has happened for a while. Yeah. So, in an inspiration, uh, she sort of intimates from her mother who has passed away she decides to give rapping a shot right and uh, she's done rhymes all her life yeah uh, so this is not new and uh you know part of the uh movie is you know trying to break into rapping yeah. still trying to break into right. theater well, and um well rapping is, is sort of presented as her true expression i mean she really when she's rapping Quite she's authentic. What, it's yeah, her black self. Exactly right. It's her she's honest authentic. self. Right. She never really. She is not saying what people want her to right. say. And so, by contrast, 
her her theater experience. And I found the theater experience stuff extremely interesting because she has, and, you know, I'm just giving the short form, what else could you do? Uh, in a sense, she sort of has two outlets for her plays that she writes. Uh, one is the commercial theater who happens to have, a, or no surprise, white producer, whatever. Uh, and it's it's there's money there in a way that a non-commercial theater doesn't have. The non-commercial theater avenue is open to her also. It's shown as... The off-off off, 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 experimental. Right. With a, a black director, black impresario, uh, who is willing to put on more of a wide range of things, clearly attracting a black audience. And it's not like... You know, this is a nuanced film. It's not like there are no issues with him. It's not like, you know, he's yeah. the good witch and the other is the bad witch. There's a very funny scene where she's talking with him about putting on one of her plays. And he has, he's sitting in front of a shrine like it's an ashram. And he's saying, I'm talking to my ancestors and they're disturbed about this talk about money. And she says, can we talk to my ancestors? Because my ancestors are comfortable talking about money. I have an aunt who really liked to pay the rent on time. You know, let's do yeah. that. So this is, it's gripping emotionally. Right. But it's funny. Yeah. It's a uh, very um, honest, realistic. Yeah. It's it's got uh, profanity. Yeah. And uh, but it, 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 even the rapping, the rapping is, I thought, accessible. Accessible. It's but, funny. Yeah. Um, and but you know, here, here's the heartfelt let, let me, as well. Let me get it. Yeah. The one unresolved thing I'm not going to resolve it here is that it raises real questions about what kind of audience she's looking for because she gets success briefly, at least, in the commercial theater. Uh, with, again, a white director, a white producer, and a white audience. And she's very unhappy with the way the play has been changed to appeal to that audience. She's not trying to reach that audience. She had a different play in mind with a different audience in mind. And that's not real big news, but it really raises the question, well, what is the role of the commercial theater for a playwright like this? What is, you know, is the, is the so-called, is the white audience that's described here would seem like perfectly nice people, but not the people that are going to appreciate what she's doing what role do they have, if any, in terms of the uh, development or support of a playwright like this? And they're really deep questions. So I, anyway, I don't want to get stuck in this. As you said, but I we, think we can it's talk a, about this for hours. Yeah, yeah. And, but uh, in case you're thinking about, anyone's thinking about seeing it, I think it appeals to more middle-aged people. You know, because of the midlife crisis. It, it may. Yeah, but the wrapping might appear It's to. beautiful. It's another love letter very to well New York. It's very well shot. To Brooklyn, etc. Yeah. And it's got local characters. Yeah. Um, you, you say love letter to New York, but usually when people say love letter to New York, they mean Manhattan. And this is not Manhattan. So it makes it more interesting in a sense. Yeah. It's, it's so um, bo- both of the movies kind of had that, you know, depicting well, neighborhoods, well, etc. You can't compete with Pixar. It's, it's like a painting <laughs> of, of, of a city. Um, so anyway, 40 year old version version yes and give it a shot yeah very interesting all right so uh, we've given you two two interesting tips there in terms of things you might dial up um uh, one just briefly there's been a lot of press about the new moynihan train station uh i'm only going to mention it because i'm a grizzled veteran of penn station having commuted from new jersey for 40 years uh to penn station Moynihan train station is, in a sense, an extension of that station just across 8th Avenue. Uh, there have been some wonderful pictures of it. It's supposed to have a whole lot of light. I'm sure it's lovely. Um, and some people uh, may like it. I mean, it, it costs a fortune. Here's the other side of it. Nothing terribly negative, just nothing terribly positive. Uh, the big problem is there aren't enough tracks. It doesn't help that. 
It doesn't help the, the trains running on time. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with New Jersey Transit. It only is for Long Island Railroad and for Amtrak. But frankly, it's not for commuters anyway, because when you're commuting, you just want to get off the train and get on the subway. And frankly, it's another block from the subway. So uh, if you want to spend your money on that, uh, Governor <laughs> Cuomo, that's okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, fine. Well, yeah. This is the old uh, post office yes. building. Yeah. The big post it's office lovely. building. Okay. Yeah. And it's kind of uh, there to um, replace. The, the old Penn Station. Pe- the yeah. old Penn Station, yeah, which was glorious. Okay. Okay. And in some ways, and uh, one of the architects who was involved in uh, kind of uh, rebuilding right. this post office to make it into a train station says uh, it always bothered him that, uh, you know, what is the front door to people, to New York, for people coming by train right. or by plane? Yeah. You come to New York and you get off at... Uh, any of these locations, you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not uh, right. a glorious I, 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 I think that's so a fair point. In, in the way that you're getting off an Amtrak train right. from some other place, it's, hello, here is New York. Right. And it's a glorious It entrance. will accomplish that in, in, beautifully. And, you know, I love public art. Right. And there's some great public right. art and there's an amazing kind of ceiling. Yeah. Um, Sculpture right. of a uh, city skyline mm-hmm. upside down, mm-hmm. a bird's eye view of the city buildings. So that's nice. There's also some stained glass by Kahinde Wiley, yeah. who you know is a favorite of mine, right. and and harks back to you know, um, you know, just in the way that these buildings were meant to uh, right. talk to the Renaissance okay. for you. Um, he does as well, yeah. uh, and brings it into a more uh, 21st century vernacular. Uh, so, you know, I, I... Look, it's all a plus. Let me just... The, all I'm saying is this, okay? Look, there's a critical issue in, in New York City about mass transit, which is in the toilet. This doesn't help it six inches. So it's nice for all the reasons you described, but uh, it doesn't help... Uh, well, I'm just glad that they were going to tear down the post office. I, I don't know what well. they were going to do. You know, I'm just glad we have some of these. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's not my money. They can do what they like. All right. You just want uh, better train service. Well, I, I don't want anyone to be fooled into thinking don't worry. that, that if you, mass transit If you go into New York, it should you ever go into New York again, yeah. you'll come. You'll be coming into the same old Penn Station. I know. You can have your original I I, experience. I, I, I'm not looking for it, but I just Untainted. This is not going to improve By it. cleanliness. Yeah. Or, uh, you know. Preserved for all time. Grand views. Okay. All right. Uh, speaking of grand views, a, I found an article for you about a cemetery in Hopewell. Yes, it's a great article. Thank you. Helping the Stones Talk, Recovering Black History by Jennifer Schlusser in the New York Times. And uh, this is the story of two women, Elaine Buck and Beverly Mills, um, and the Stoutsburg Cemetery, a black cemetery in Hopewell, New Jersey. And it's just a great story. Mm-hmm. Of course, I love cemeteries. 
Okay. Mm. And I love the stories that they tell. I'm more interested in the art stories that they tell, but there's also the great histories of the people who are buried there. Mm. And uh, these two women, for various reasons, uh, got interested in this cemetery and uh, started to uh, kind of research the people who were buried there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they found wonderful, wonderful stories. All right. Um, which are captured in a book that they wrote, that they published in 2018, called If These Stones Could Talk. And um, it's really uh, a great uh, you know, kind of example of people. They're not scholars, but they end up being kind of great historians, digging through town records mm -hmm. and things. They discover actual, um, and they're, both of them are related uh, to people in the cemetery. And uh, they discover histories of various, uh, of their own families, but also of other people. Um, black people who were voting in the early 1800s. And, uh, you know, they're going, what? What? Um, this person voted, and then it looks like this person's wife voted. A non-white woman voting in like 1802 mm -hmm. uh, was just amazing. And and then, of course, uh, people get nervous. And by 1807, uh, blacks do not have the vote. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, cemeteries can be another way of just like reading old um, lawsuits. Mm -hmm. uh, cemeteries are a great way to uh, jump into history. And they came across many interesting uh, characters. Um, Elaine Buck is related to, um, well, her husband's family includes a man named William Styers. And uh, they come across Styers' discharge papers from the army signed by George Washington. Oh, God. Yeah. So it's just uh, it, it, full of great stories like this. Um, so, and, uh, I, you know, I, I would like to go there. I think it's uh, not a particularly impressive site. I guess what I really want to do is read their book, If These Stones Could well, Talk. But I would say, I mean, we go through Hopewell all the time. So this clearly is not on our Hopewell route. It's just, it's just the left off we the road. You know, when we're going, um, going out home. of Hopewell. Oh yeah, uh, on five eighteen. Yeah, and uh, in fact, it's it's very near the church. All, this is in the Sourlands. Yeah, and all these characters are Sourlands people. Sourlands is where we do that uh, right. tough bike Sourlands ride. Mountain. So it's right in there. We have biked very close. Oh, okay. to this site. All right. Well, we will but, see it. Uh, we haven't seen it. All right. So a couple of sports individuals, which we'll talk about briefly. One is uh, Nandi Asamoa, and uh, he is in the paper for a very interesting reason. Uh, as an actor, he's, he's featured prominently in a Times article because he is one of the stars of a drama called Sylvie's Love, and he's gotten very good notices. We saw him in a play on Broadway at Roundabout called A Soldier's Play by Charles Fuller. And we talked about him a little and bit. And we talked then. about him a little yeah. bit. And the reason we did, uh, I, I don't remember the reason we did, but he's... Well, so basically the reason prominent. we do is there aren't that many NFL players well, that's the thing. who so, make it to Broadway. So you, you, you gave it away. So yeah. Nande Asama uh, played in the NFL for a while, uh, and it's kind of a very interesting career. Uh, he was drafted uh, in 2003 by the Oakland Raiders, 
and he played for them until 2011. He was a superstar. He's a cornerback. He defended receivers. A superstar, like he was an all-star five or six years. He was considered the top cornerback in the league. I found quotes from Rob Ryan, from Pete Carroll, from Bill Belichick, saying he was the top defensive player in the league. In the league. He's uh, he's considered one of the great Oakland Raiders of all time. Really? The interesting thing about it, though, and it always struck me as weird, and I do remember this happening in 2011, after being in the league for eight years, as a free agent, he signed with the Philadelphia Eagles in a much ballyhooed acquisition by the Eagles. And he was, for the Eagles, awful. Awful. And there are, I was just listening to some tape about why that was, but I should just say it's generally recognized. Um, there's an ESPN.com article there is on every subject uh, saying it's one of the worst acquisitions. It, it's the seventh worst acquisition in Philadelphia sports history. There was something, another article saying uh, most hated short-term Philadelphia athletes, which he was. He got a guaranteed contract for $25 million. The contract was for much more than that. And he went from being one of the best players in the league to really not very good in 10 seconds. And there are all kinds of theories. Uh, got a little older. Uh, they played a different defense. But it's always been a mystery, and it's been a terrible sore point for the Eagles. They didn't sign free agents for a little while after that. It's a big deal. Uh so in any event, that has always been a little bit of a mystery. And of course, the irony is that uh, Nandi Asama in the Soldier Story, the character he played, and he mentions it in the article, was character played in, on, in New York originally in the original production of Soldier's Play by Denzel Washington, who's one of the great heroes in Philadelphia. But Nandi Asama, not so much. Uh, the other sports figure is Phil Negro. And you know where Phil Negro lived. He passed away. But you know right. In fact, I have been swimming right by his house. He uh, has a house in um, Flowery Branch, Georgia. Near your brother. Yeah. Right. And uh, he, they, they do acknowledge in the article in his obituary that he lived in Flowery Branch. Uh, an older guy in his 80s. But the interesting thing about him, he's a knuckleball pitcher, as you may have known. And knuckleball pitchers are different. They don't throw the ball quite as hard. It's a very much a finesse pitch, and sometimes it takes a while to master it, he won 300 games. But uh, on his 30th birthday, his total victory uh, total was 31. In other words, he won 270 some odd games after his 30th birthday, which is crazy. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, take my word for it. He had, <laughs> as his knuckleball pitcher. You know, Jim Bouton was knew him in, in 1959. They saw him in the minors, and he remembers saying to himself. This guy's never getting to the majors, he, you know, and Bouton came to New York and was a star with the Yankees for two years. He felt sorry for Necro. And then, of course, two years later, Bouton was out of the league and Necro goes on to a Hall of Fame career. Necro ended up, even though he was an also-ran until he was 30, uh, because knuckleball pitchers throw so many innings, he has thrown or did throw more innings than any other baseball player born in the 20th century. Okay. So it's kind of an amazing career. I can, you well, see, he was much beloved in uh, Flowery Branch. Well, he, there's even a, a street named after him, a road. And uh, and there there was, I always knew his house because it had like a, it's kind of, a, I think it must have been stained glass, um, yeah. round window, and mm-hmm. you know, with the details of the baseball really? uh, on it. Well, yeah. he, he grew up also with two uh, great athletes that people sometimes know. Joe Negro, his brother, was a great pitcher. 
and uh, their best friend was John Havlicek. The hmm. great uh, Celtics player. All right, enough about sports. Go ahead. Let's get back to business. You have an article about salads. Well, you know, we can't uh, help but talk about food at this time of year. Yeah. And uh, we really should talk about salad. We could use more salad. We've had kind of a lot of Christmas cookies. Yes. And uh, and uh, this article in the Wall Street Journal is the Great American Salad Revolution. Yeah. Which just means that, uh, you know, gone are the days yeah. when, uh, you know, the idea of eating a salad is the idea of depriving yourself, trying to behave. Wall Street Journal is onto this. We, all, we love salads now. Americans love salads. It's been true for you, a long time. It's been true for a long time. That's true. But it's the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I must say, it, you know, especially whenever we come back from a trip in Europe, yeah. we're, we're dying for a salad. Right. You know, they really don't embrace the salad the way we have. So what's fun about the article is that it kind of goes through uh, the history of American obsessions with salad. You yeah. know, salad has developed, yeah. uh, starting uh, with the, you know, the, um, the good old, um, I don't know why I'm blanking on this, gelatin-based <laughs> concoctions yeah, of the salads. 40s. Well, you know, when I was in home ec yeah. uh, in uh, the late 60s and um, they were teaching us how to cook, yeah. one of the things we learned to make was a jello mold with 7-Up and mandarin orange wood, uh, yeah, sections right, in yeah. it. Right. Okay, and that was, you know, how to make a salad. Well, when was the last time you made it? I don't remember it was ever awfully tasty. I never made it again. But it was also awfully tasty at the time. And then um, she traces through various trends, including the baked goat cheese frise salads of the 80s. Yeah. I didn't even know those came out in the 80s. I, I never had one until the 90s. And uh, I thought I was pretty cool. They were still good. Um, yeah. Also, then we move up to the raw kale salads of the uh, yeah. 2010s. Yeah, it's a little rough. Yeah. Um, she, oh, she reminisces about uh, the uh, salad niçoise, the wonderful mm-hmm. tuna salad with olives and green beans and, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. That, that goes back to the 60s. Right. Arugula first appears around the 70s. You know, in the UK, they call it rocket. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, arugula, I, you know, I didn't know about arugula in the 70s. That's for darn sure. No, 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 not at all. You know, I mean, now you can buy it in any grocery store. You can buy arugula in the shop, right? Um, So who knew 50 years later, Hmm. it would be such a household item. Um, And then of course, you know, everybody has mean things to say about iceberg. Or did have mean things. Remember in the 80s, everybody said, ah, you know, iceberg. Yeah. Don't eat that. Forget about iceberg. It's stupid. Yeah. Um, and yet icebergs had tremendous research. Is that right? Well, think about the wedge. The, wedge, the popularity besides, of the iceberg wedge. Besides the wedge. The wedge you know? the wedge. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, people eat more iceberg now. You know. Is that right? Well, yeah. It has, first of all, you're not limited to what else might be in a salad, but iceberg has a delightful, refreshing crunch, okay. you know, um, so there is that. And uh, there was a, a nice um, kind of looking back at, we have had some really bad salads, like, like the, the average. We, you and I? Yeah. No. Nah. 
You make wonderful salads. No, no, no. But I mean, when you're in a restaurant, you get the side salad. Yeah, I don't. Pay it comes in a little plastic wooden yeah, bowl right. yeah, right. with a little orange French dressing on it. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, you know, no wonder people didn't want to eat salads. So that, anyway, it was just kind of fun uh, looking uh, through all of that and thinking about um, the kale salad, the advent of the yeah. But I mean, just so people don't get the wrong salad. impression, you you've been making salads with arugula and with kale and all these things for years. Nonetheless, yeah. it's interesting to me to think that it, just like high fashion yeah. takes many years or used to take many years to trickle down yeah. to the department stores that so normal people like me would be wearing what, you know, right. is in fashion. Uh, same thing with food. I mean, food, you know, certain trends okay. start out in those fancy restaurants. It, it can take a decade. Okay. It can take more than a decade to get to the shopper right. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of quick sports things that just struck me as odd. One is you saw the Rose Bowl with me. That was um, Notre Dame getting uh, thumped by Alabama. And uh, as I know you realized, the Rose Bowl was not played at the Rose Bowl. Uh, The Rose Bowl is actually the name of the venue. It's in Pasadena, California. It's called the Granddaddy Bowl of the Mall. It's been played for years and years there. Not played there this year. Uh, They moved it uh, because of covid and they moved it to Texas. And the question is why? It was quite controversial. And people said, well, Texas wouldn't allow it. And here's, the, here's what Texas, uh, California wouldn't allow it. Uh, they actually would have allowed it. Uh, what they didn't allow were any spectators. All right, so you're saying there aren't many spectators at these events. No, but they meant no spectators. And what did that mean? You couldn't have the players' families there. Mm-hmm. And because you couldn't have the players' families there, Notre Dame and Alabama said, we don't want to play in mm-hmm. that venue. All because they couldn't have the families there. Mm-hmm. So they moved it all to Texas. So, you know, fine. Family values. Family values. You might call it that. The um, the other article that just struck me in the Times, you know, they run a, a health article, a science section every Tuesday, often about fitness. And this one was talking about high-intensity uh, workouts, which uh, they endorse and that most people do, that should be part of your fitness routine. And the good news that they wrote was that you don't need high intensity for any particularly uh, substantial length of time. As a matter of fact, the headline was four seconds is enough. Well, what did they mean? They meant that if you have a workout where you have enough four second intervals, I'm not, I'm saying right, four second intervals of high intensity workout such that they add up to a minute by the end of your workout, you're good. So if you do a 15 minute workout where four seconds are high intensity uh, or featured in every minute, you're good. So the, the the study that decided this yeah. was actually um, created a workout that amounts to about 20 minutes, mm-hmm. three times a week. Right. And they um, touted all kinds of fabulous right. improvements, especially in, uh, you know, they said the people who participated... Uh, were able to outperform their previous selves in the activities of daily living. Mm, I'm measure that. I thought that was a fabulous. Yeah, but look. I mean, what, it's nice. Uh, it turns out, who knew exercise is good for you? Yeah, but and it, it turns out that uh, you know to get um, all the benefits of raising your heart rate, yeah. you really just have to 
you know, do it for a short period yeah. of time. And, but a bunch of short periods of time. Right. Okay. Nonetheless, the next article you read by Jane Brody or somebody else is going to say, yes, everybody should be exercising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Look, know, there's no you know, An hour and a half, right. uh, eight times a week, blah, blah, yeah, blah. I'm only bringing you the you good know, news, okay? Well, you know, nobody ever, they, they find all these things out and no one ever seems to remember. Well, okay. We'll we'll Turns see. out, you know, late breaking news, exercise is good for you. Combination and of- it doesn't even take much. Combination of HIIT, four seconds, and arugula would do it. Uh, so anyway, you had something about Coral Works, which I always want to jump on. I Can don't you want come to up it. with some better segues? That's a... <laughs> you know, right. Everybody said you had something. Uh, yeah. Come on. Okay. Uh, well, I was uh, reading, I was perusing yeah. the arts and leisure yeah. section of the New York Times today, and uh, I read an article about classical music. I never read articles about classical music. Yeah. Because I don't know much about classical music. Uh, yeah, okay. You know, I took a couple of music courses. Mm-hmm. In the history of music in high school mm-hmm. and uh, the history of opera, actually, right. in college. And if it wasn't, if something wasn't mentioned in one of those two courses, I don't know anything about it. Okay. And my classical music education hasn't gotten very far since then. Mm-hmm. However, I have to say, as you know, I am rather fond of what they call early music. Mm. Okay? Mm. And so this kind of claimed my attention. A choral work from a 1550s pandemic of John Shepard. Little is known, but his media vita is a cult favorite of early music. And so um, John Shepard composed this in the late 1550s Mm -hmm. that's pre-shakespeare okay and that is he he, um well and he dies in 1558 and it looks like he died from the flu from a flu pandemic that was going around then he might have died from the same flu that queen mary uh the first died from uh shortly before other than that no one knows much about him but he has uh especially Exquisite, this is exquisite. It's called Media Vitae, Vita. It starts out Media Vita in Morte Sumus. In the midst of life, we are in death. And uh, it's ethereal, it's magical. You've listened to it. I listened to it. Okay. It's about 20 minutes long. And, uh, you know, you get it, conjure it up on YouTube. Of course, there are various versions. We don't have the original music, mm-hmm. all right? The best we can do is a fifteen is a copy from the 1570s, mm-hmm. and it's missing one of the key parts. It's missing the tenor part, okay? Um, so they had to improvise that. I don't know how people do that, but they did. And uh, it was just uh, magical, wonderful, um, you would call it Renaissance music, uh, Tudor music. Um, one of the reasons I wouldn't have known about him is that he was kind of lost until about the 1970s. So if I took the history of music in, you know, 1969, uh, I didn't hear about him. All right, all right. Uh, but uh, that's John Shepard, Media Vita. It's a terrific 21 minutes. All right. Great. All right. So we're going to close with... Uh... TV shows, 21 shows to get 
2021 going, there was a Times article with the blurbs about various shows. I know you made a list. I made a list. It'll be interesting to see if our lists match. And if they don't, we're in for some tough times. Uh, so do you want me to... Yeah, you go first and I'll criticize you. All right. I had, Tell me if it's on your list. Lupin? <laughs> the Gentleman Thief? Arsene Lupin? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. French series created by the British screenwriter George K. of Killing Eve. Yeah, you're a bigger Killing Eve fan than I am. Well, I'm also leaning toward Netflix. It's on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> All right, what else? Uh, pretend it's a city. Martin Scorsese made a documentary about Fran Leibowitz. Here he expanded into seven half-hour episodes of commentary from both Leibowitz and Scorsese about New York City. I think that might be interesting. Yeah. Okay, but I think you need to uh, watch it with a drink in hand. Well, you know, they, I, I don't, you know, it's cocktail. Kind of, yeah. All right. Um, Did you want to jump in, or should I keep going? I'll keep going. All right, this one you're definitely going for Tiger, the two-part, three-hour documentary about Tiger Woods, which is like the Michael <laughs> Jordan one. You didn't go for that, huh? No. Okay, that's HBO. Uh, maybe you went for this. Call my agent. Screwball French comedy about no. talent agencies scrambling to serve the needs of A-list clients. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, is that French? Yes, Charlotte okay. Gainsbourg, so, uh, right. Weaver, Jean right. Reno. Yeah. yeah, I was uh, attracted to some of the characters, but it just, you know, the subject matter. I got It's like up. agents, you know. I think it's a winner. Yeah. And here, uh, this if you don't have this one, I don't know you. Gamora? The long-delayed arrival on American screens of season three of this moody and engrossing Italian series for a lover of gangster dramas? I, you uh, know, I was um, intrigued by that. I can easily see it, it might be too rough for me, mm. too dark. You are a delicate Naples, flower. Na- Naples, um, what do you call it, um, mobster-type life is a little rough. Okay. And finally, I know you've got this one, Flack. The first season of this pleasantly vicious satire of crisis management business starring Anna Paquin. What is the crisis management business? It's, you know, when somebody says something wrong on social media and they're about to be run out of town. That does not sound too intriguing. Boy, I struck out with you completely. So you didn't want to see the Idris Elba small acts? Small, I don't even notice it. It's It's like the second one. Uh, I don't think I got it in mind. Did you look at this online? Yeah. Okay, you got a few more than I did. It's about... uh, um, people in uh, from it's about people from South Africa, mm-hmm. not okay. South Africa, West Western Africa. You really can't see it. It's not here. And it, it must be there. It's not here. It's got to be there. Tamsin, I just looked at it. It's not here. It's once again the difference between the online paper and the paper paper strikes. It's there somewhere. I'll find it for you later. Okay. Okay. Keep going. Um, what else do you have? All right. Um. The Judy Dench. Yeah, there's a picture of Judy Dench there. Yeah, yeah. Wild Borneo Adventure. Right. Yeah, I didn't get excited. Well, I liked her line when uh, she introduces her companion. I'm here with my chap. I like yes, that line. I like, I'm here right, with right. my chap. Her, her I'm going to say that, uh, you know, from now on when we go places. All right. Let me introduce you to my chap, yeah. Dan Abuhoff. Yeah, okay. Um, how about Dickinson? Yeah, I don't it's think on I, Apple Plus. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, we don't get that. Yeah, so it's the it's a teen comedy yeah, yeah. about uh, the young Emily Dickinson, so the I'm glad, poet. I'm not broken up about not getting that, but go ahead. Okay. What else? And I guess you're not interested in Call Me Cat. No. It looks a little goofy from the commercials. Goofy is, is but being it's got Swoozy Kurtz. 
It does have Swoozy Kurtz. And Mayim Bialik. I've seen Swoozy Kurtz in some pretty awful things <laughs> <laughs> at the roundabout. Uh, Mineola Girls. You don't want to see Mineola Twins. Yeah, you're right. Um, Good memory. We are the Brooklyn Saints. Uh, nah, not really. You think that's just going to be another one of those feel-good... Yeah, charmingly inspirational series about a youth football program in East New York. Right. I know, charmingly inspirational. Got it. You're out. I'm out. Yeah. How about the Black Church? This is our story. This is our song. Uh, on that, PBS. That sounds a little charmingly inspirational to me. But yes, that is on PBS. Okay. Middle of February. Equalizer, starring Queen Latifah. Yeah, I may not be the huge Queen Latifah fan you think I am. Uh, as the cryptic fixer Avenger, uh, I think this is like a Marvel thing. I, yes. <laughs> are you Are you serious? Holy I, mackerel. I, I think... All right, we'll I figure think, this uh, out. it's kind of typecast. You Lupin mean, because is... That's uh, what uh, January 8th, is. we'll be watching Lupin. And then Tiger, of course. You're going to okay. love the Tiger one. All right, so that kind of wraps it up for uh, this week on Tamsin Dan Read the Paper. This is Tamsin Granger. And Dan Abuhoff. Happy New Year. And we'll see you next see week. You next week.